get rid of the music. Good afternoon, you're listening to ORNM with Rachel Martin and Megan Conway. On today's show, we'll be discussing the Green Party's campaign to legalise cannabis, celebrities and drink driving, and the lack of political figures, and invitations to the royal wedding. So, joining myself and Megan, that's going to be that's going to be a good one. But, starting it off, uh, the Green Party has launched a campaign calling for the decriminalisation of the drug. What do we think about that, guys? Um, I think of all parties... Uh, to bring it up, I mean, I think green is kind of one that people aren't going to take very seriously. Let's be real, I don't even know how many seats they have in the doll at the moment. I think it's two. Um, there was a lot of pushback against Simon Harris, who tried to basically bring in um, medicinal use uh, of marijuana um, and cannabis before. And that's even just cannabis products, cannabis oils, and that kind of thing. I just don't think Irish people are ready for the legalization of marijuana. But then when marijuana. you look at other countries, Ian, like Armstrong, like obviously it's a, it's a city Netherlands it works really really well there do you think Ireland could potentially see a future like that do you think well we have to leave this kind of old traditional idea behind and move forward yeah at some stage but I think people in Ireland just have this very blurred view on, on, on dope and marijuana and that kind of thing it's kind of like we're about 20-30 years behind and it's like if you watch old American PSAs about marijuana itself and cannabis you know they're really over the top and i mean kind of the jury's kind of out now about it this is kind of not as damning as uh you know the likes of class a drugs um i think maybe one day it would work but i just think you have an older generation that just wouldn't be okay with it i think they have you know they'd be worried about you know young people 16 year olds and stuff getting their hands on mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and i mean 16 year olds already use it across the country anyway it's interesting that you say that though that irish people aren't ready for like the products of cannabis like cannabis oil and stuff because uh vera toomey won a, a people won a person of the year award last night for and she, obviously she's famous for using cannabis oil on her child ava who suffers from a syndrome that i can't pronounce but um but it's interesting that you say that irish people aren't ready for it when obviously there's some some subset of the community anyway that are obviously ready to move on with that and have awarded her for the, for her use of it like yeah the, the party's proposing that people should be allowed to possess a small amount of the drug as well as the, uh, the instruction of Amsterdam's, Amsterdam style cafes so they're kind of hoping to bring in like like Megan said the kind of Amsterdam type but I mean, think if you say a small amount of the drug that makes no difference because eventually it's just going to get bigger and bigger until it's just fully legalised yeah. So maybe that word has to kind of be focused on a bit more. Um, well, party spokesman, party spokesman Oliver Moore explained that ordinary people would be allowed to have up to five grams of cannabis in their possession um, or to use, and then people who needed it, like Ava, um, they would have to get a true doctor. So it would be a different process, and it would be a different way in in getting it. But um, it, it just would be kind of different in the way you actually get the cannabis um, and it would have to be accessed through their doctors yeah I, I think as, as well there's so many positives to it and the fact that you're you're cutting out a black market you know what I mean there's so much talk of you know all this you know Kinahan Hutch feud and they are two very big drug uh, importers in Ireland when as you know if you legalize this you know you're you're removing that that black market obviously other drugs can still be purchased on the streets but you know and then you think there's also other added benefit of taxation you know you can tax people for going into shops buying the product and I mean you throw so much money into the country and put some more money into hospitals and schools I just think I can't really see the government willing to have this conversation which is 
primarily filled with people over the age of 25. More. Like, I don't know if any of you, I know Ian, you lived in a, in a country where it was legal. Like, I know you didn't do it yourself over there, but did you find that people where, where they had access to it, ready access to it, do you think they were more likely to use it then? Uh, it was funny because it, it was it was a much more casual thing, but and you still had your kind of stereo, this is this is Canada we're talking about as well, and Toronto more specifically, where, and actually, it wasn't actually legal, they passed the legislation to legalise it, but, you know, there still wasn't actual government enforcement there, and there was still, you know, they had these dispensaries which were operating, you know, outside of the law, but... Yeah, it was, it was definitely very popular over there. Lots and lots of people I know smoked, but it wasn't a big deal, do you know what I mean? And it wasn't the case of, like, people would, all, you know, be constantly smoking every day of the week. They might, you know, smoke a joint before a par party or something like that. And it definitely wasn't uh, It definitely wasn't looked down on as well. I mean, I think, you know, I'd, I'd actually seen people smoking joints in front of police over there. You see that in Ireland too, but I, I don't know, I, I think... It's for certain people too. I don't think everyone's going to go around and start lighting up joints just because it's legalized. I think people will try it and think that's not for me. And I, I think a lot of people will argue as well. It's a kind of a relaxation drug. They like to unwind. People use it for, to deter pain. Whereas alcohol is kind of more sociable. And we have a huge thing in Ireland with linking, um, you know, social life and alcohol. You know, you go out to, to you don't you, you know you rarely drink on your own. It's kind of weird if you drink on your own unless you have a problem. Whereas, you know, you're going out to drink with your with your friends and um, that kind of thing. So I don't think that, you know, it would either discourage drinking. I think you'll just have a, a healthy mix of, of people who want to do either or thing. And I think it suits different people. You have an alternative because people will. Well, I mean, even though technically you still have that alternative now, it's just it's a, it's a legal alternative. So it probably would just turn into the. What would your guys say parents think of this happening in Ireland? Mm. I think our parents. I probably all grew up in the eighties, so I don't think they'd be that. If you were my grandparents, you'd be like, "No way!" You know, they grew up in that era too. Like when it was probably a lot more a um, bigger deal. What's it like in, in like, say, a rural area? Oh, it, no, like it, it just wouldn't sit. I just know about people. It just wouldn't sit well with them. Interactions. It's hard to lump in, and everyone always lumps in cannabis with alcohol when they are two completely different things. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, there's a lot of recorded evidence of violent crime and, and violence with, with alcohol and I mean but surely it's worse I mean if you put cannabis. someone who's stoned in front of you and someone who, who's drunk in front of you it's they're two completely different people so I yeah. really don't understand but lots of people do that they compare they compare the two and say well people drink so much and they abuse alcohol I think another problem in Ireland is we, we are a culture of abuse we abuse everything we do we abuse alcohol so I think you know there is definitely the idea of you know cannabis abuse in Ireland and there will be, always be those few people who abuse it and I mean but I guess as well there's not enough study I think put into the dangers of cannabis uh, and that kind of thing and so we don't really know the long-term effects. So welcome back to DCUFM you are listening to Rach and Meg's Mix so now we're going to talk about the Ange McPartland scandal at the moment so TV presenter Ange McPartland form well formerly known but more well known as one of the Ant and Deck duo um, was arrested for drink driving So Ian, I'm going to throw it to you first. Do you think kind of public figures nearly have to kind of explain themselves more or get more of a harder doing when it comes to criminal records and that kind of thing? I think from just a, a PR stance, they just don't have a choice. It's not a case where we need to expect it from everybody, but if he didn't come out and say something, he's going to get a lot of bad press. So this is just damage control. And it's not a case of where 
you know, the court goes, well, because you're a public figure, you better go out and make a public figure. You know, this isn't a legal thing. This is just him controlling his reputation. He's clearly fallen on hard times, and he, and he probably wants to pursue TV again and again in the near yeah. future, so he's going to have to reduce the damage as much as he can. In terms of the fine, it was excessive, but I can understand where the court are coming from, where they're going, well, we might as well get a large chunk off somebody who can afford it. I think it's 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 kind of just a... I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just relevant to your, your kind of income, you know? I, I think, obviously, if you're a low-income earner, they'll probably take that into account a lot. I'm not sure how the law works, but I mean... Let's be real here. I mean, I can't really sit around and worry about Aunt McPartland's, you know, money woes. Do you know what I mean? When there's people who really are scraping by every week. And, you know, you're saying, you know, he, he might not get too many TV gigs. I highly doubt that. You know, he'll do his, his while. He'll try and get himself sorted out. And he'll be back with, with Deck in no time. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Uh, today I'm joined by Colleen Brady, Shauna Cohen and Megan Conway. And today we're going to be talking about a number of topics including um, alternative classes we wish we'd learned in secondary school, should women be screened uh, for alcohol uh, during pregnancy and we're going to talk about a few shows that we've been watching on Netflix this month. So let's talk about our first topic guys and alternative classes that we could have done with in secondary school. So you have your standard ones, maths, English, Irish, but what do we wish we learned in secondary school? So I was saying that I wish everyone it was compulsory to learn how to drive. So do your theory, do your theory test. No, I did it in a bit so what? Class. What if we were to have this as a class in secondary school? How how would we go about it? Yeah, I mean in America they have drivers' ed, don't they? Well, I think some schools oh, would have yes, drivers' right, ed. Too. I think that's a, a normal thing, and I. I I have to agree with you, Colleen. Uh, you know, I'm on my second provisional now, and it's just a huge fact of it is that it's so hard to get into a car because you have to have. Now they're getting so strict on it. You need to have somebody who's carried a license for at least two years. They have to be insured on the car. You have to be insured in the car. If you just had a school car that every student was insured on and they got to <laughs> use it, very bad. <laughs> but I, but I mean, uh, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I, it, I it wouldn't it wouldn't cost a huge amount, and it's it's harder and harder for kids to get insured and get yeah. out in the car every day. If you had yeah. a, if you had a class twice a week, three times a week in the car, you get it done over two years. Don't like quote me. I know. That's where you learn. Yeah, but that. you need to think about what would work for you know hypothetically if we could get this to be, a, you know, a, a, an alternative class. Well, look, if how would that work for second? If schools? it was an optional module in fourth year that you got to pick, and there'd be an X amount of spaces that you'd be able to fill up in certain schools, and you know, and even actually, you know, for smaller schools, you could actually merge it with two schools, and they'd all yeah. meet at a centre every week for an hour. You saw and you just get, you know. It'd be hard to get give each student an individual lesson, but you'd definitely be able to get every student to pass that theory. Too. Okay, so what other subjects would you guys offer? I would like the idea of first aid classes to be mandatory. And, and, and like even with schools, like I mean, there was kids in my school who suffered from like the likes of epilepsy. And I was yeah. about 15 at the time and I was walking down the corridor and a girl I know um, took an epileptic fit in front of me and I was rushing to class and she just collapsed in front of me and I had no idea what to do and I was just standing there watching this happen I went into shock you know what I mean whereas I feel like if I had a bit of training now luckily there was another student there who I don't I'd say she did a lot of sailing and stuff like that as well so I'd yeah. say she would have had some degree of experience and she was able to Get you know she, yeah or, well it wasn't even that it was just like she was having this epileptic fit and there was nothing we could really do and wait for her to come out of it but she was able to go down and comfort her and you know whip her jump her off and put her under her head and put her in a position where she was most comfortable yeah. and she wasn't going to do anything to harm herself where I was just completely useless I was only 15 but if we had a little top of class but every see, three years you had sure. training it would be second it like you just come straight to it because like, it would kick in yeah. examples of that um, my friend same friend again Emma and I were in Loch Grey 
we were in the car, we saw a number of people kind of huddled around another car that looked like it had just hit against a wall. So Emma training, you know, at the train that she has was like, we better pull over and see what's going on. And went, went over and Emma said, no, she didn't want to like highlight the fact that I'm this, I'm that. She didn't give herself a title. She just said, I have basic first aid. So the crowd just like split and we're like, this woman knows what she's doing. Let her come through. And this man was sitting in the car. And he, was, he was kind of like lopsided. He wasn't over the wheel, but he was just kind of slouched to the side. And Emma was like, like that the click she just got into this autopilot she owned the scene she -hmm. was like this person do this this person in the ambulance she was able to get the other two guy, two other fellas that were there to help her get him out of the car lying on the ground and she just starts doing CPR and I mean I don't think it's uh, like you could say it's the type of person as well you can say, oh, some people are just really good in those situations, and that is true. But I think if it's just drilled into you, oh, it'd be like, oh god, I learned this in school. Definitely. It just becomes second nature, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, I'm going to put this into into use now. I even know from working in a restaurant, like stuff that I've seen, um, allergic reactions, sort of thing, not having a clue what you're meant to do. do yeah. Then I remember uh, two summers ago, um, a little child choking. Thank the God, maneuver, yeah. Thank God, like one that. of the guys that. Um, worked us at the time he was studying medicine so he knew what to do but I had learned how to do that in transition year in a half an hour class but in that moment I was like I didn't I wasn't confident enough in myself to know to know to do this so if it was drilled in from a young age it'd come to you second nature you'd be over there and saving a life yeah. essentially alright we're going to move on to our uh, our next topic now and this is the idea of screening pregnant women for alcohol in their systems um, so Megan do you want to tell us a bit about you know alcohol and the effects it has on a pregnancy yeah so um, we were kind of doing some research before and there's some really really serious birth deficiencies that can come out um, of um, your basically a mother drinking while she's pregnant and it's called Shona it's the fate Fe- fetal alcohol, alcohol syndrome, syndrome, yes. So that is the result if a mother, and there's no actual set quantity of alcohol a mother has to take for any of this to happen. So they don't. It could know be anything, as in yeah, one drink. They can't measure it. They, they really just don't know. So you can have poor growth, you can have defects. A child suffers socially, mentally. There are prone to seizures, delayed development, a huge amount of behavioural problems, and it's really shocking. It's like really shocking kind of outcomes for just a mother taking a drink. one alcohol I mean, drink. Six, six, uh, stats say 600 babies were born with the syndrome or are born with the syndrome each year in like Ireland, in Ireland. Wow. so there's obviously I mean mums think that it's perfectly acceptable to have a drink throughout their pregnancy do you think but it should be a criminal offence? I do think it should be a criminal offence yeah here um, from the IMO it says that Ireland is one of the top five countries with the highest estimated prevalence of alcohol use during pregnancy so do one you guys think five. that if there was screenings if women knew every time they went in to say get a sonogram or something like that and they knew they were going to get tested for alcohol to book in for your how many more I know yeah do you know how yeah. how would you how many weeks I was just kind of thinking would you what, need to like fair enough you can have to have to be like well now you took a drink and I can see that but what's the outcome what's the consequence of it well I was going to bring up another point here was you know barmen aren't allowed to serve people who are under 18 should they not be allowed to serve people who are pregnant and yeah, I'm just saying this sense. because you know a couple of years ago me and my friend were working outside at a festival in Malhide and it was absolutely packed and we were just running this tiny little bar alone and these two men came up to us and they were talking to us and they were with kids but they were having a drink and you know that's fine it was a festival and everything was fine they were chatting away to us about the beer and stuff and they they ordered two pints and then they were with their wives clearly but their wives weren't there and they ordered two glasses of wine off us and next minute we see this woman come down and she's pregnant and she's sipping on this glass of wine and my friend who was serving with me is actually studying to be a doctor 
and we both just kind of looked at each other like we were in shock we just went oh, and we kind of I think we both felt a bit bad that we'd just done that but at the end of the day what we were going to say were we you know and Irish people yeah, have this tendency well, yeah. I don't mean to pry but should you be drinking and we, we didn't say that I'd be I mean? the exact same like if someone came up to me in the restaurant pregnant ordered a drink who are you, who to, are say you to say anything to, yeah. I, I'm sure yeah, you'd yeah, serve them I'd serve them you've no you know, right yeah, you so, can, so you can argue decision. that the odd glass of wine right might have not have any adverse effects but why take the risk why take the risk exactly why take the risk and I think if barmen you know could get in trouble for that kind of thing I mean the, the, the you know police will pay young kids to go in to you know test you you get a test every couple of months or so and see if you're going to serve the kid or not if they kind of police that kind of thing a bit better I think it would really discourage it you know barmen go well, I'm actually going to get in trouble for this so I, I'd rather not Definitely, yeah. it's all it's about conversations with your doctors as well I mean, look, you'd talk about people that smoke. You, it would probably be a little bit more obvious in the scans, I think, about, I'm only guessing now, if pregnant women smoked throughout their pregnancy. But there's all, you know, like, no one's going to go cold turkey. And I think doctors, you know, some do, some don't realise that, that it's all about a conversation. Right, well, do you know how bad this is? I'm, I can, I'm going to tell you some information. I'm not going to tell you that you have to stop right now, but this is what it, it does. Do you know, some people would rather a normal conversation about it rather than being, than this being is so there. bad, yeah, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, but I think with, with, with pregnancy, I think it's kind of okay to kind of give out a, a little bit and say, look, look, you're taking responsibility for, you know, what, what's going to happen in the next nine months, you know what I mean? It's not, you're, you're sharing this, this your body now with this, you know. So, I, I mean... Would you think that women would be maybe a bit offended if you tried to bring in this kind of thing? Go, oh God, I can't believe the state doesn't trust me to look after, you know, or, or to I make the right decision. I do get how some people make us laughing. How mm. some people might, do you know, be like, you know, who are you to tell me how yeah. I might? This is the whole that. my body yeah, thing. We're not going to get into other <laughs> yeah, things that are in the news yeah. right now. I don't think, considering that's going on the news, that they're going to move mountains for drink for drink but it says here as well 80% of Irish women on first pregnancy reported consuming some alcohol in pregnancy well, 80% you also, have, you also have that whole factor people don't realise they're pregnant yeah okay they do like I've, I've seen numerous examples one quite recently of a guy I went to school with and his girlfriend they're delighted like but it was a, a complete and utter surprise she didn't know she was pregnant until she was um, she was getting labour pains mm. wow yeah, another girl from home who actually has a past people's college. And uh, years ago, and uh, she was the same thing, and um, she's playing rugby. So you do hear about that sort of stuff. You do hear that, but you would wonder about the child's development and their brain development. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. babies are quite durable like that. So, yeah, how do you police something like that if you go, well, I actually didn't know I was pregnant? No, I don't know how regular screening could work as like a... As a public health policy, I don't know how. I do think work. the whole bar thing would be a very good idea. That definitely, not, maybe not police it, but from that aspect, I think that would I mean, be a very in, good idea. Say right, okay, I'm in just as I am, right? Not pregnant. Yeah. And I've had you've served me a good seven drinks. Yeah. Okay, and I'm You're I'm, well on, your I'm way. Fail, well on my way. I should really be going home to bed, but I won't because the night is young. And I go up to you and I go right in. I'll have, I'll have a shot of sambuca and gives gives a double vodka as well while you're at it. But I am slurring my words um, and I'm kind of half over the bar. Okay. What's what's the deal there? I think every bar has its own policy. Yeah. The one I worked in, they kind of left it up to you to say. But once you made the call on it, you could just walk up the length of the bar and tell every barman. 
don't serve them whether you were the manager or you were just a guy who was you know 18 just behind the bar you could make that decision and make that call and if someone went up to you and said don't serve that person that's just how it was so I think barmen are quite vigilant in that sense as well depending on what on what pub you work in but you know if I saw okay this person's in a bad way and to be honest with you it's mainly because it's less of a nuisance for the barman I don't want to be carrying some drunk girl or some drunk sure. guy outside of a bar or, or getting dealing sick with or a dealing with a sick or whatever happens in the bathroom yeah. it's just a whole lot easier to just cut them off this is a different ball and chain though isn't it yeah this is a different story where you know a fully sober woman who's pregnant and you know what I mean and we're talking about visibly pregnant as well do you know what I mean that's that's the problem too I mean it's obviously you know a woman who's eight months pregnant you can go well no you're pregnant if they did bring in the slob 15 minute guys we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about some things we've been watching on Netflix so I'm going to get the ball rolling and I'm going to talk about a documentary series a docu-series six part that I started watching I'm only on episode four but I kind of have an idea of where it's going it's called Wild Wild Country um, I've actually first heard about this kind of group that the the documentary is a subject of called the Roshnish Purim just out of coincidence a couple of uh, I'd say about a month ago a month and a half ago I follow this YouTuber who does these kind of video essays and he did a 30 minute video essay rundown and so this docuseries goes into much more detail and it's about kind of this Indian man um, I can't remember his second name Rajneesh is his name anyway and basically a whole religion basically resided around him and he drew a lot of followers and he was all kind of about new wave and they were open to sex and music and expression and they were counterculture and this kind of took place in you know between the 60s 70s and 80s and they basically managed to accumulate a huge following in Oregon and they took over a very small town called Antelope uh, and then you know they they faced a lot of backlash and there was a lot of cult fear in America at the time Jonestown had just happened where a commune uh, you know which was in South America I'm pretty sure but basically there was a mass suicide they all I don't know if you've heard about it. they all drank about, the yeah. Kool-Aid and Jim Jones you know what I mean you had hundreds Jim of Jones crazy yeah you know so you know there was reasonable fear within America and this was on America's doorstep now and so they had built their own town they had their own banks they had their own police force um, and the documentary is really fascinating because you're getting to see not just you know the cult members and how they felt accepted but you know What's amazing about it is you kind of feel they're a little bit hard hard done by at first. They seem quite harmless and, you know, and you you do understand why the Americans are, you know, a little bit worried about it. But they are a little bit hard done by it. And so as a result, their actions become a little bit more erratic again. And I'm just reading. So uh, we're back, guys, and we're... Next topic we're going to move on to is McGregor's antics, which basically has flooded every single publication, you know, from tabloid to broadsheet. Um, and, you know, just a brief kind of recap of what happened. So apparently, you know, there was this other UFC fighter, am I right in saying that? Who, be a teammate, maybe? Uh, yeah, and he, he threatened his teammate and... He was at... There was an altercation between someone, I think a teammate of McGregor and someone else, and McGregor's name was brought into it, saying something along the lines of, well, he's on here now. So, McGregor gets a flight from Dublin to New York, straight to the Barclays Centre, where these guys are on a bus, and there's tons of video footage of McGregor running amok, is the only way I can say it, and there is anger in his eyes, and he is... 
He literally went out on a mission to cause trouble. Yeah. He had no other business in New York. He smashes a window. You know, one of the guys goes to hospital. Uh, you know, and this is different because my PD, he was the released on. Really. Yeah, the, the judge posts what the sixty k protection orders on, on, on the other two guys. They're not allowed to talk on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, and you, so basically, the fallout of this one is people are saying, "Is this the end of McGregor?" Um, hmm. So, what do you guys yeah, think? I don't think there'll ever be an end of McGregor. <laughs> I think he's left a mark for what he has done. So. I mean, well, Dana was never. Let's be real here. Dana White was never going to just cut Conor McGregor off like that. I mean, yeah, UFC was going right. how many years before McGregor got involved in the sport? But let's. It's only really become a mainstream sport in the past few years. Yeah, and McGregor was one half of one of the yeah. what the most expensive, right. expensive fight. Yeah, in sporting history. Yeah, in sporting history. history. I mean, I, I mean, the biggest fight in sporting history. I mean, yeah. everybody. You know, across the world was watching this. I mean, I, I you were in America watching it. I was in Canada watching it, and there was Canadians watching it, Americans watching it. I mean, it was huge. He's made the UFC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> but but that, you know, that's the thing. It's not just a case of you know we have Irish fans. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's a it's a global thing, and he's made him so much money. What's interesting here is McGregor has a lot of money, um, clearly, and he would have made a lot of money out of the Mayweather fight. But you know, a lot of people are worried about these civil suits that might be taken against them, people making yeah. claims against them, that kind of thing, sure. which could which ruin him but let's be real here do you really you guys really think that UFC fighters who have a public image to be tough are going to sue McGregor for a bit of glass in their head that's what I was wondering as well because we were talking about it with my friends and one of them was saying oh you know if you sue him you're getting something yeah. Oh, a lot yeah. of money. Oh, yeah. yeah. so but but these UFC fighters have their whole careers ahead of them as well, and they can they can capitalize on this. They can build up these fights. Yeah, wage for your life. But but so could potentially their future fights as well. I mean, the UFC makes yeah. a lot of money, and it's it's a money sport. There's huge sponsorship deals, and everything's pay per view. You know what I mean? It's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what I'm really would like to bring up with you as well. I mean, he's a role model for so many people. Is he good role model, I, would you say? No, I don't think like, so. He's an awful role model. I don't think he was ever good. I don't think he was ever good. I don't think he ever... But then... I know, Meg, he is... Oh, he the, has the whole background story of rising yeah. from Crumlin and... All the most interested in all that fight now because of him. When he sits and makes rash comments and does what he does, he's not thinking seven-year-old Tom down in County Tipperary wants to be me. Like, yeah, he's but really thinking, money, you just get on planes and fly to New York. When have role models ever been conventional either, I don't think. I think if you want to have a conventional role model, you know what I mean, you can look to a politician, but they get up to terrible yeah. things too. Yeah. You know, I, and I mean, you just kind of have to take the bad with the good and all. And obviously, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's done anything unforgivable here. Do you know look, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know what I mean? And his, his downfall is coming. But you know what? I can't wait till the day 20 years from now when we watch a Martin Scorsese Goodfellas-esque movie of McConnor Gregor and all the sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. But I do want to harp on one thing that is important out of this is that the danger of him having a criminal record in the US and risking his, you know, the, the future of a citizenship. And, you know, he also, there's huge talks of him working with WWE. You know what I mean? He could retire in from UFC and do them years. And if that's at stake... That is a huge problem for him. I mean, he could just never fight again and work for the WWE for years. And he would be perfect for that kind of thing. He would buy into the storylines. He would get all the hype ready. People would tune into wrestling. People who don't watch wrestling would watch it just for his character. And if he risks a deal with them, that is huge, I think. Experience, really. Me and what about you? 
we had a small sex education class when we were in fifth class. We had like little lead up parts to it. I remember we had to talk about like puberty and things like that. The girls got to talk about puberty when they were like 10. We got to talk about puberty when we were 11. I actually missed my primary school sex education thing but I just remember everyone telling me about this video they showed them called Busy Bodies yeah oh um, yeah. yeah I never I saw that this yeah. must be like the general video that they just show yeah. around the country I think it was like regulated or something it must be yeah it must yeah. be I, mean, I think it's vague enough like I don't think it really gets to any detail but I suppose you don't need that much detail when you're you know 11, 12 I'm not going to mention it actually. but Colin did you not get any further sex education in the likes of secondary school I honest, Megan, you were in the same secondary school as me. I don't think we. I did. don't think we ever did. I'm trying to think. Did you have like, like a life skills class in fourth nothing year? Nothing like, like that. CSP. We had CSP, but so they did have things in place, but it was just always executed so badly. We had mm. guidance counselors, and they were the ones who were meant to deal with everything. And like there was two, no offense, and there was two very old ladies who were guidance counselors, and they weren't always dance around the subject. Then I had a young guidance counselor who tried so hard to be trendy, it really just backfired <laughs> us. So you know, and we had talks in first year. And we again, I think we watched the same video, Busy Bodies, and it didn't give us any more enlightenment. And then we all had to write on a piece of paper a question we had, and that ranged from anything asking about like sexual transmitted diseases to what is oral sex. And she did explain what those things were. Not very, you know, again, she just kind of like gave a very kind of regular. You know, kind of explanation. And then when we were in fourth year, we had a life skills class, which mine unfortunately ended up turning into a table quiz class. But for the first few weeks, it was kind of about sex and relationships. And again, they gave us like really vague stuff. And on my teacher, she was she was good. She was very cool about it, and she kind of made us all just very normal about it. But I remember the following year, I saw the year below they had um, prop penises. And they showed the kids how what? to put condoms on. I was and I was I was class. I was annoyed. I was like, we should have had that. Just school, but it was very small. I went to a mixed school. It was 100 girls, 100 okay, boys, yeah. so oh, I wasn't completely... I beg your pardon, my national school was tiny, my secondary school was big. Oh, sorry, your secondary school. And you went to a mixed secondary school, yeah. I assume. Exactly, yeah. So I, wa- I was around a bit of it as well, like you yeah. do here. And I had two sisters as well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I know, and it, it's just the worst. But like, and, and guys had that too as well, with that, that kind of the race to... But it was more like kind of like you know who's who's more sexually active yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing and I think like as well with sex education like sure it's well and good to teach you the mechanics and how it works and all but they really should have put more focus on relationships and taking your time and yeah, I mean you can't tell you how many people I know mm. who kind of regret the first time they had sex and they only really start to enjoy sex a few years along the yeah, line as the yeah. older they got yeah. you know so that's why I mean do you think consent should be part of sexual education classes yeah right? definitely I think it should be part of it and again you don't have to harp on about it you don't have to scare kids into about having sex as well you know because you know we went from you know kids being terrified about having sex and then they, they, they learn about it the completely wrong way and then you'll have kids rebelling and stuff like that too so if they you don't know, include consent obviously it has to be talked about and especially now because there's so much controversy around it and things like that but include it but don't you know have this huge pressure on it as well where you know like this is wrong what you guys are doing do you know what I mean because I think that's what was pushed a long time ago if you were having sex at a young age it was wrong I mean, I don't, and that's the only thing I would fear with consent that it would mix into, okay, well, what you're doing is wrong here. But also, it's important that people know that, you know, you're both adults and you both. Next topic is about YouTube and young people. And at the moment, isn't there a big kind of calling online that social media or kids who get into trouble should be banned from social media because they're seeing the likes of this violence on the likes of YouTube and Facebook? And yes, that's right. Yeah, so what do you think of that? Should kids who have done something? obviously very very bad be banned from social media well 
you, this this whole idea is stemming from a very violent period of gun crime and knife crime in London. I think last month was the bloodiest month in, in London, London yeah. in a, in over a decade, in almost a decade. So you can understand where they're starting to look at avenues they've never, you know, ventured down before. Do I? Yeah, it's it's, it's the old adage of, I think yeah. of just blaming something that's new. Do you know what I mean, we blame yeah. you know we blame TV, we blame movies, we blame video games for years. We're actually going back to blaming video games again, even though there's no scientific evidence to prove that it encourages violence. Mm. And I think it's just again a fear of the unknown. It's going well, maybe this is what's causing it, or well, no, there's a spike in violence for some reason, but I don't think this is it. Do you know what I mean? I've never, I've, I've rarely heard of somebody watching something on YouTube and then going out committing a violent act yeah. as, a, as a direct result. Like I can't imagine a ten-year-old group, and I think that's what they're trying to cut down on. I think it's more about the culture and the environment you're around rather than what you're watching. I mean, I think there's a huge leap between what you're around, and I think a lot of violent crime is linked to say working class areas and you know tougher areas where these kids don't necessarily have good upbringings, or and they'll they'll see violence and things, and 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 they might be in a situation where that's your only way to survive in an environment like that whereas if you're sitting around watching a few videos I really can't see you now obviously I mean there's going to be some people out there the likes of people who have psychopathic tendencies that's sociopathic tendencies say, yeah, but they, they will seek out that kind of yeah. videos you know what I mean and that'll be their thing and that has you know there's no evidence to suggest there's any socio-economic background to a psychopath either you know what I mean we have rich psychopaths we have poor psychopaths as well so mm. yeah I do think it's really worrying though do you think that's and as well like London's a big highly populated city obviously you're going to have high crime rates as well but a huge thing to notice about London is you know there's a huge gap that you have extremely rich people living in London and you have extremely poor people living in London so there, there's clearly that's not being addressed do you know what I mean yeah and I, I don't mean to make us sound like that we're saying well all violent crime happens among working class communities because they do you know it's violence you know like, exactly yeah but you know there just is a bit more of a culture of it I think in real I think desperation will cause a lot more kind of anti-social behaviour and, and, and you know what I mean there's, there's no real avenue for kids like this and I think blaming something is like social media is just a cop out you, you do get exposed to a lot more but I think as well you need to just educate young people more you know what I mean because at the end of the day there's nothing, like I mean social media is something that kind of exp like grew up with especially people our age that yeah, grew up with us in our, in our teens you know what I mean and like I mean I saw some stuff on Facebook and stuff I definitely shouldn't have seen and you know what I mean you can you can see it now as an adult and kind of stomach it but I remember the first time you see something like an ISIS video and you yeah. know yeah. I'm sure as you know I'm sure a lot of teenagers have seen those videos I saw those videos and I regret having to have sat there and watched them yeah. but it happened but it you know it didn't completely mess me up but my parents weren't standing over my shoulder you know to stopping me from yeah. doing that and, and who's to say I wouldn't have seen it anyway if they were I mean Fox in America went on to you know describe in every detail the video footage of that that man who was burned alive in a cage by ISIS and okay yeah. sure they didn't show the video but they had a newscaster describe it in yeah. very vivid detail so it, it's hard to say and we don't have any correlation we don't have any evidence to say that social media like I mean social media is having it's definitely having an effect but we don't know whether that's a negative or positive outcome yet I don't think 